The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Make it's Making Monsters with Taylor Dahl. It's like beer and brats, a perfect combination. You know the deal. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Making Monsters. The offseason is here, and today was pretty wild uh, around college football, around pro football, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and uh, we will get to most of everything that we can possibly talk about in this bit of time that we have, but I want to introduce first my guest today, Eric Eager. I talked to you, I think I've had you on, Eric, on Helmets and Heels, but not on Making Monsters yet, correct? Yeah, uh, I was on your show back when I was on uh, PFF, yeah. Yes, that's what I thought. So uh, Eric is a former, used to work for PFF, now VP of Sumer Sports, which is kind of a a little similar in the analytical side of getting all of the statistical stuff of sports. But explain a little bit what Sumer Sports is, how that started, how you got involved. Just give us an idea of that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, Yeah, PFF was, um, you know, kind of my first job in football and you know we you know i you know became vp there and you know it was we were kind of in like a creative rut because we were building data and tools for kind of like the analytics people in football teams and i uh i kind of wanted to build tools for kind of like the general managers and the the upper uh you know tranche of uh team builders and so uh, I was pretty close with somebody with the Falcons. And when uh, Thomas Dimitrov was let go uh, during the 2022 se- 2020 season, I asked him if I could have Thomas's number. Uh, Thomas was uh, gracious enough to uh, let me call him. And uh, he and I struck up a kind of a, a friendship. And uh, when um, Paul Tudor Jones, who's like a famous macro trader, he actually uh, uh, has an office in, in Palm, uh, Palm Beach, Florida, um, wanted to start a football analytics company with his son. They they hired Thomas as the CEO, and uh, not long after, Thomas uh, brought me along. And so uh, we we build roster building tools for NFL teams. Uh, and then a little bit later, because I kind of like doing media and podcasts and all that stuff, we started our podcast, the Sumer Sports Show, uh, and we've uh, started to build tools for you know media and and, and uh, we uh, you know just built our uh, playoff preview and, and stuff like that so we're kind of we have a media wing and then we have a a uh, a wing where we build software and stuff for uh, NFL front office and general managers okay so are you a number guy first and then also liked football so kind of attached to them or was it the opposite way yeah I, I have a PhD in math so I was okay. a math professor uh, for six years and then um, I dabbled in a little football. PFF kind of let me do consulting. Uh, and then kind of I found myself uh, doing way more math, you know, the, the football in the middle of the night. Than yeah. I, and then I was kind of, you know, I realized I was putting way more time into the into the football than I was into my actual professor job. And so <laughs> I just went, you know, I went to full time into football. And uh, so that that's kind of where I am. I, I did play college football. Um, okay. I know I don't look it. Um, but I, I played college football a long time ago. Um, and so I, I love football uh, quite a bit, but I, I'm way more of a, a math person than, than a traditional football person. Look, we appreciate that because obviously I am not the biggest numbers person. So when I have stuff like what Sumer Sports does and what PFF does, 
of just being able to see charts of things helps me out a ton. So we appreciate you for that. And uh, you sent me recently over, which I talked on Helmets and Heels, and I know some of my listeners listen to Helmets too. And uh, we talked about your the postseason, your playoff kind of uh, packet that you put out, uh, the guide, I guess you had, and it was great. It was really cool. It broke down so many different things, um, which of all the playoff teams, when it comes to one of the things I like to look at is what areas of the field certain quarterbacks are successful and unsuccessful, because I feel like sometimes you, we hear it when we watch Justin Fields and we'll talk about Justin Fields, but we kind of know what areas of the field he's best with. And people are very critical that he's not good at every spot of the field. But looking at the chart that you have, there's several quarterbacks in the playoffs right now who have their their parts of the field where they succeed and still parts of the field that they struggle. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that, you know, is true about a lot of quarterbacks. I think, um, you know, we were talking yesterday and, you know, there are no gods in football. There are no, you know, players uh, in the NFL that excel at everything. Even, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who I think last year, everybody was met, you know, every, everybody sort of got themselves into a position where they, they felt like he, uh, you, you know, they traded away possibly the best non quarterback in, in all of football and, uh, you know, they still won the Super Bowl. And I think a lot of people felt like, okay, this guy's invincible. And yeah. as we saw this year, like, no, I mean, he's still really good this year. He still performed admirably. They won 11 games, but we saw, you know, cracks in the armor. And I think uh, every single football player, uh, you know, is susceptible to, to you know, perturbations, right? And and, and Justin Fields and, and you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, uh, we, we, by the way, uh, to, to your helmets and heels uh, listeners, we made a full pay, you know, set of pages for Jacksonville if they were to make the, the playoffs and they just didn't, no, right? Didn't get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, every, every quarterback is susceptible to that. Yeah. And, and that's what I, I think we have to sometimes take a step back. And uh, us here in Chicago, we've made the jokes all season of how it's Matt Nagy's fault in Kansas City that Patrick Mahomes is having the season he did. Um, but it obviously goes beyond that. There's a lot of things that factor in that the offensive line, weapons, uh, other communication things. Obviously, coaching is a part of that. But also he's human and things are going to happen. There's going to be mistakes and some of maybe those errors shine a little bit more. Um, in certain situations. But let's go ahead and jump into this because I think the hottest topic right now, uh, and this is even, Luke Gutsy was fired today, and that's a very hot topic, but I think still Justin Fields and Chicago Bears is just such a big thing in Chicago right now because it's full on deciding what the future of the Bears is. And they've given Justin Fields three seasons, granted not a full three seasons because he didn't start right away his first year. He's battled a lot of injuries. So he hasn't had that the full game reps that maybe someone like Trevor Lawrence has had these last three years, but he's had three seasons and he's had a lot of starts and uh, they they spent resources this off season with DJ Moore and Darnell Wright and Nate Davis and all these all these other uh, pieces offensively to try and surround him, which everyone said they needed to, and you still didn't see numbers leap. Um, and I know you may, I may be upset hearing you talk. Don't worry about that. Um, just cause I, I'm very vocal about how I feel about it, but what are, what analytically and beyond that your feelings towards Justin Fields and what he's done these three seasons, is it enough to hang on for one more year? Well, I think it really depends, right? I think if you can get, it really does depend, right? If you can get, a, a difference-making veteran player who's worthy. Like, if you can get a Montez Sweat-type player at a different position and a future first-round pick and a top-ten pick and a second-round pick and, you know, maybe another kind of mid-round pick and a, for a team to move up to first, then maybe it is, right? Because yeah. that's kind of what the proposition was last year. And, you know, a lot of people, and myself included, I, you know, I at the time last year was like, hey, maybe Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud is worth it, you know, worth trading fields for. And I think last year fields was probably worth a first round pick in a trade. I think this year uh, I think a reasonable price for him would probably be an early second. So um, you, you have to weigh those things, right? If you trade yeah. fields for an early second and you take Caleb Williams or Drake May, um, you know, Th th that's really what the, the opportunity cost is, right? So mm -hmm. if somebody if somebody believes in Drake Mayer or Caleb Williams more than you do, then you have to weigh those things. I I think 
you know, my opinion on Caleb Williams is far lower than what it was even going into the season. My opinion of Drake May is a little bit higher, actually. So I kind of think, look, if the team, if Washington, if they are, if they are smitten with Caleb Williams and they just want to flip, you know, trade with you and they give you a ton and then you can pick Drake May, then maybe, maybe it's worth moving on from Justin Fields. If a team picking at, you know, eight wants to give you one of their premium position players or the equivalent of DJ Moore, maybe you want to keep Justin Fields. That that's like I think where people who are attached to Justin Fields and I and and I I see this and I I'm a big fan of yours by the way. Like I I told you the other week. Like I think you know I I really I, I like your Twitter persona. I like you know I I I bear I feel bad for Bears Twitter because you guys <laughs> have suffered so long. You know, from the Jim McMahon to, you know, the Eric Kramer, you know, to Rex Grossman to, you know, Jay yeah. Cutler and, and on and on and on. And, it, you know, I, I get it. And you want and Justin Fields is incredibly likable and, and he's got talent and he, you know, he I get it. I understand. But like I to me, it really has to be about price. Right. If a team's going to give you a, a ton for the first pick, then keep Justin Fields. If, yeah. if they're not, then take Drake May or, or Caleb Williams. So when you're looking at that, though, let's just say, because I know you do work a lot in the number sense, and there's things with Justin that clearly need improving, and you could go through pretty much every number. The one thing that got better this year, he didn't throw as many interceptions. Um, he There's still issues with him holding the ball too long. So, you know, when you see the, the time to throw for him, mm-hmm. it's still – he holds it, and that's been an issue. Um, his deep pass, they're beautiful. They're there, mm-hmm. and you see them happen. And a lot of it, though, has been thrown back to a guy that was fired today, and that's Luke Getze, because the season, when we go through what the play calling was for the season, we saw a ton of screen passes. We didn't see a whole lot of RPO play action until later in the season, at least from what I was seeing just with my eye, not going back and watching and breaking down of what they were doing every single play, but there was, it kind of waited too long. And then you felt, then he got injured and he wasn't playing four games and it it just felt like things were kind of messy. For some reason, there's no connection whatsoever with Darnell Mooney. Uh, DJ Moore, obviously was a great move. You can't argue that there was a connection there pretty much right away. And you felt like whenever him and DJ were on, they were on, but what, what to you from an outside perspective when looking at those numbers and what Justin Fields did do offensively, how much maybe was related to Getsy and how much was on his on him? Yeah, I think if if anybody wants to sort of like look at when you're thinking about scheme, to me, I think about it in terms of like baseball terms. I think about home runs and doubles and singles, right? Mm-hmm. And home runs are kind of about receivers, right? You watch uh, I'm trying to think of like the play. Um, what 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 game was that? Where it was the Tyson Bajan game, where Tyson threw a ball, and I think it was Mooney. I think it was against the Chargers, and like, and it looked like Bajan overthrew him, but really it was Mooney who kind of like misjudged the ball. And I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, that's actually the wide receiver's fault, right? And and so when I look at deep receipt, when I look at deep passing stats for a quarterback it's oftentimes the receipt, those are receiver stats. And so like when Justin Fields, when you look at his deep ball statistics, they're really good, right? 12.9 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, two picks, not, you know, 114 passer rating. That's good. That's DJ Moore. That's Justin Fields. They're in sync. Awesome. When I look and singles, you know, Justin Fields has a 106 passer rating on passes from zero to nine yards in the air. That should be the case, right? It's easy to hit. They don't get intercepted a ton, all that. But from, from zero to uh, from ten to nineteen yards in the air, Justin Fields eight point eight point four yards per pass attempt, which actually isn't that good. Fifteen point four passer rating, two touchdowns, five interceptions. Some of that is Fields, but a lot of that is scheme. And what I mean is, like, look at some of these guys who we know aren't that good of quarterbacks, but we know have great schemers, right? Uh, so Tua Tagovailoa from ten to nineteen. Right, his pass rating's ninety five point four. That's Josh McDaniels, ten point three yards per pass. He mm-hmm. can scheme doubles, right? Yeah. Brock Purdy, who again, Brock's a good quarterback, but we know that some of that is Kyle Shannon. Thirteen point three yards per pass attempt from ten to nineteen. Right, yeah. he's scheming those guys like high school wide open in that doubles range. His yeah. pass rating on ten to nineteen yard throws is one eighteen point five. Right, yeah. you want to get I an think- off coordinator that's scheming those doubles wide open for Justin Fields and that there's just not those open throws for him 
And I do also, I would love a Debo Samuel and a Brandon Ayuk yeah. also in those situations. And, and that's what I kind of was talking to you before. Um, we, Cole, Komet's guess- a, Cole Komet's a good tight end that should be able to be open. Like, and, yeah. and like he, those are scheme balls that should be open for him. Right. And, 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 and Cole Komet's a good enough tight end where those numbers should be better in that offense. There, yeah, and there was just multiple times this year where we had receivers in the same spot, and I, I don't understand. I couldn't quite figure out if that was just uh, directly cre- like correlated to coaching, or if players weren't understanding the playbook. And I remember last year going back, and people were saying because Chase Claypool, obviously, that ended up being a disaster. But Chase Claypool, they were kind of making excuses for a little bit. Even I was because they were saying, hey, Getsy's playbook is is, is difficult. It's hard to understand. It takes time uh, to really adjust to his playbooks and understand his playbooks. That never happened with Claypool either way. And then we kind of heard Getsy getting talked about as possible head coaching at the end of last year. And then this year, it just completely (laughs) fell apart. And it it was just so weird to watch because – we did have a lot of confidence in the offense and it felt like it just never fully came together. Um, And I do think that's a combination of a lot of things. I do think that when you point to, when you look at our offensive line, there was, I think maybe two games they had the same lineup in there because so many guys got injured and they had to rotate so many pieces. So when you look at that, for example, do you have numbers on the offensive line? Because sometimes we're seeing, that O-line ranked pretty high for the Bears and then but when we watch it in a game, it doesn't feel like that all of the time. Well, I think and I think sometimes that, you know, and that's sometimes a product of like, so for example, and, and that's good to like know where those metrics are coming from. So for example, ESPN is all about um what's called pass block win rate is the first two and a half seconds of the play. So whatever happens. You know, I I grew up in Minnesota, so like Scott Erickson was a pitcher there. He said, after the ball leaves my hand, nothing, I have no control over it. That's kind of how it is for them. Whereas like after two and a half seconds, they don't really grade the O-line. And okay. the problem is, is like Fields is more of like, if you look at Justin Fields is like average time to throw. Um, I'm going to look it up right here quickly. Uh, it, it If I had to, if gun to head, I'd, I'd put it at about three seconds. Uh, it's actually 3.4, which is incredibly high. Uh, mm-hmm. In his career, it's 3.3, right? So you have to know that if you are scheming an offense for Justin Fields, your offensive line has got to be, it's got to hold steady, right? But when he came into the league, right, you knew this about him. You knew he had a high pressure to sack ratio. You yeah. knew that he, you know, he's one of the few quarterbacks in NFL history that has a sack ratio purely over 10. And so you weren't going to, you knew when you drafted him, he had a great arm, he had great athleticism, he was going to run the football really well, but you were not going to be successful if you had an offensive line that wasn't good. And they yeah. knew that a priori that his offensive line wasn't good. And so now you got Darnell Wright with the pick that you got from the Panthers. You you got, you know, Cody Whitehair is probably done. Like you, you don't, you don't really have a great offensive line. And, and, it, and the, the hard truth about the NFL is that you're not going to get a left tackle in free agency worth anything, right? And mm-hmm. you, you have to use the draft picks, you know, to take those players, or you have to trade the first overall pick to a team that has an actual left tackle yeah. and, and, and sign him to a big deal. And that's really, to me, that's what you have to do if you're going to stay with Justin Fields is you got to find a team with a real left tackle and you have to say, look, you can have the first pick, but I'm going to shake you down for your left tackle. And, and that's, that's hard to do because these yeah. teams are going to like give up their left tackle willy nilly, especially uh, a team that needs a quarterback. So that that's, that's always a hard proposition. And that's also the, you know, and that's, that's going to be a problem if they go with Caleb Williams too, because Caleb Williams has a lot of the same identifiers as, as Justin Fields does Drake may similarly, although he's a little bit better at that. And that's honestly one of the things that I have said to a lot of people who make that the strong Caleb argument. I, I was just like, man, I just feel like there's a lot of similarities. A lot of the weaknesses that Justin have, Caleb has, very similar. A couple of things on what you were just saying. So the two and a half seconds to throw that you said ESPN ranks off of. So that's pretty much saying like your line, if your line is holding those two and a half seconds, whatever happens beyond that, they're not calculating anything. Exactly. Whereas PFF's okay. a little bit more, PFF does a little bit more subjectivity where like, they, like if the play, like they look at, a computer can't kind of look at it and be like, this is intended to hold for longer. Whereas a human, which is what PFF does, they have human charters. They can say like, 
this play looked like it was intended to hold longer. And so they'll downgrade a, a Bears lineman for needing to hold longer. And so maybe their grades will be lower, whereas ESPNs will be higher. That that would be an explanation that could happen. Again, I haven't looked deeply at their grades because, again, I don't work yeah. at PFF anymore. But that could be an explanation for it where maybe the ESPN's upgrading the Bears and PFF's downgrading them or vice versa. But, uh, yeah, and that's why, again, you have to look at those analytics and kind of ask, like, what are they what are they measuring and why could maybe the Bears be upgraded when they shouldn't be or downgraded when they shouldn't be? So when it comes to that time to throw, because that's a number we see a lot, and a lot of people use that as an argument when we say, okay, you know, Justin's sack ratio or Justin gets pressured because, for example, this last game against Green Bay, I I want to say it was like 65% of his dropbacks he was getting pressured on. And that's an insane amount. That's an insane number. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people see that time to throw and automatically correlate to, okay, well, he has this time to throw. What are the things that factor in that? Is that his scrambling and being able to move? Obviously, that, that does include him not being able to release the ball in time, which we talked about that. But what factors into that time to throw? Yeah, you. I mean, it's a number of things. So the, the answer is like, yes, right? It's like everything. So, yeah. um, you know, there's there's research that kind of goes back along, you know, there was a, an article that I wrote like back in 2019 where it's like a pressure rate, you can attribute about half of it to the quarterback himself. So quarterbacks like just kind of inherently take on their own pressure. If you look back at, you know, Dan Marino, for example, led the NFL in sack rate taken for the first seven years of his career. So like, that's clearly like an inherited trait, right? Whereas, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of like Randall Cunningham was one of like the most sacked quarterbacks, like for, you know, four or five years of his career and was a high rate almost the entire career. So it's something that's inherent. And I think that's just something you're going to have to live with with Justin. Deshaun Watson was very similar when he was with Houston. It was just something that he always had. Sam Howell was similar, right? So it was one of those, like when I got in trouble in Washington for saying, I didn't think Sam Howell was any good. It was something he had in North Carolina. It was Mm -hmm. something that he had in Washington. This was something that when when Justin was coming out of OSU, he had great accuracy. He was a great runner, but he held onto the ball a lot and he took a lot of sacks. Yeah. And then you 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 add to that a an offensive line that isn't very good, and that and that's a recipe for disaster at times. And so yeah. it, it's it's a little bit of both. Like um, Tom Brady, for example, like one of the the craziest things about Tom Brady's career you know in Tampa Bay that last stanza of his career was he increased his average depth of target so average depth of target and time to throw are usually inversely correlated the longer you are in the pocket the the further you can throw it downfield Tom Brady was like he bucked the whole trend by standing in the pocket for short periods of time but still going downfield which is insane Tua kind of does that because he has Tyree Kill and Waddle who are insanely fast but like that Justin wants to go downfield and he is incredibly good at that. He's and and that's kind of his nature. So yeah. the, the next offensive coordinator that comes to Chicago is going to have to realize that you can't really change him. Yeah. And so you're just going to have to build an offense that lives within that. And like Cam Newton was like that too. Cam Newton mm-hmm. like sit in the pocket and throw it deep. And you mm-hmm. kind of have to live with that and live with the warts that go along with that. And, you know, and, and there are positives to that too, because you have bigger plays. Uh, associated with that well yeah and that's something that I feel like I've noticed and I I never was able to quite explain and now that I feel like like explains it a little more when it comes to statistical numbers because I've just felt like Justin always looks for the big play and I've said that so many times I'm like Justin doesn't want to take eight yards if he can get 17 like he just doesn't want to and it's beneficial in moments and that's not beneficial in other moments and that even comes to his running ability because there's times where even recent games where I've watched him and you feel like you're just yelling, like, just get rid of the ball, just get rid of the ball. You're about to take a 10-yard sack, and then he scrambles, does something magical, and gets 18 yards on the play. And you're like, okay, like he did it. I don't know how he did it. But then there's other times where he does take that big sack, and then people get frustrated. So I think it is something that maybe – and that's a decision the Bears have to look at moving forward. Is this something that they want to – do number one really bulk up your offensive line because it seems like if you want Justin to succeed then you're going to have to have an elite offensive line across the board yeah exactly because that's just that's just kind of who he is and and that's the problem in a salary cap league and that's the other thing with fields it's like you know we saw with the New York Giants right 
the moment that Daniel Jones started showing promise, they had to give him four years, $160 million, which means that the offensive line now, like you can't, you can't, you have to take gambles around the rest of the offensive line. And then yeah. now Daniel Jones doesn't look quite as good or the defense doesn't quite look as good. And so that, that's the conundrum, right? And, and that's what, that's what's hard, That's what's really hard about football is that, you know, the, the only quarterback in NFL history that has won a Super Bowl making as much as Daniel Jones is Patrick Mahomes last season. It's yeah. a really tough thing. And, and, you know, the, the bears just paid Montez sweat. They mm-hmm. probably should pay Jalen Johnson. Uh, you know, they just paid two linebackers and those two linebackers are pretty good. No one's going to deny that. Um, and, you know, and DJ Moore is worth the money he makes. And so, so is Cole Komet. So it, that, that's, that, that's the hard thing, right? And that, that's what makes this a hard job for Ryan Poles. And that's why uh, he makes the big bucks. Now, if you were looking around the league, is there a quarterback, obviously outside of like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, because I feel like when you have a standard of guys like that, it's it's a little bit more obvious. But if you were looking around the league, do you see one of the quarterbacks that maybe are more of those tier two, tier three quarterbacks that would have been successful on this offense with the way the line was, the way Getsy play called, um, pretty much just DJ Moore, Komet, and a heavy run game? Uh, I it's tough to say. Um, it's tough to say. I mean, like Geno Smith is kind of the thought process, like Baker Mayfield, you know, they're all kind of in that Justin Fields kind of range. Right. And, uh-huh. and I think, you know, Geno Smith makes quick decisions. He has a good, like, you know, he, but he also has years and years and years in the league. We forget that Geno Smith is in his thirties and has, yeah. you know, played in a number of offenses. Um, and Baker so, also. Yeah, yeah. So, and Baker has as well. And Baker, and and but even Baker now that he's been injured for a couple of weeks, we've seen he started to progress a little bit. So the, that's what's really hard about quarterback play, and 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 that's what's really hard. Like if we were the economics of football, if the first overall pick needed to be paid fifty million dollars, like Sam Bradford was back ten years ago, it would be much more economical to stay with Justin Fields. It's just yeah. you know when Drake May or or um, uh, with our Caleb Williams is only going to make 10 or $11 million. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a bargain. Yeah. And those are, I mean, it's, it's always the gamble. And I think that's what scares me is because I just feel like, and when I've been, I've been very pro Justin and very vocal about that on Twitter, but I'm not one of the people who are like, I'm not a bears fan. If we trade him and draft Caleb Williams, like I'm not on that boat. And there are people out there right now that are kind of in that realm. But because I, I personally really like Ryan Poles and I like the move that he made, the moves that he's made so far. So I feel like what Ryan Poles feels like is the best for the Bears organization moving forward. I'm going to trust for now. Um, but I, I do think that my it's scary because I just feel like we've seen a lot of those top five picks, especially top three quarterbacks, just not pan out the way you want to pan out. Mm. The one everyone was pushing us to draft last year, Bryce Young, looks like it wasn't the pick to go and it should have been CJ Stroud, which people are like, well, now you missed on that. But it's kind of like, well, that's not what everyone was telling us to pick anyways. They were saying trade Justin and draft Bryce Young. So it's just such a scary situation, but it does, I guess, kind of reset things to where now you do at least have another three, four years to decide on that. And that's what I think the, the, it's going to come down to a lot of those things for the Bears and deciding what they do. Um, I know Ryan Poles and his presser today just made the comment of like what he said last year. I have to be absolutely blown away to draft a quarterback. But he did also say he's not opposed to keeping Justin and drafting a quarterback later. Um, so maybe like a Cam Ward, one of those other guys in like round three, four, something like that. That's a possibility. Um, and have them just have another guy on the roster that maybe is there for competition purposes. But it, it's definitely a big topic. I want to talk a little bit about defensively of what you have seen with the Bears, because obviously the major shift uh, happened in the first half of the season compared to the second half of the season. And, you know, Iberflus took over play calling defensively. They get Montez Sweat, which looks now to be just an amazing move, especially since they were able to get a contract out of that. I feel like it would have been a different story if they didn't get an extension mm-hmm. out of sweat. Um, but just how much did that drastically change when it comes to just adding one player to the defensive line and what it was able to do for the Bears defense in that second half? Well, it, it's just it, it's really important to get blue chip players on your football team. And, and you know, last season when they had like $100 million, it's like that's amazing. But like. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're not going to get Montez Sweat in free agency, so you have to somehow pry. The, and you're not going to get DJ Moore in free agency. So you have to pry those players out of teams, and that's going to take draft picks. So I know when, like, Mike Lombardi gets mad, you know, yeah. like, that's stupid. It's like, well, how are you going to get – like, you can take, you know, Tyree Wilson at seven, but, like, Tyree Wilson had, like, five pressures this year for the Raiders. So yeah. good luck there, you know. So <laughs> I, I, it's it's tough. And, but, you know, the thing I like with Sweat is not only does he get pressure, but he also, like, sets a good edge. Is that, you know, everybody – you know, Yannick Ngakwe, the reason Yannick Ngakwe is available in August every year is he doesn't defend the run. He's a really yeah. good pass rusher, but those guys – are a dime a dozen at, at, at times. Right. So um, that that's, you know, he's a great all around player. And so you look at levels of the defense, you can, you need to have an elite player at defense, you know, defensive end, you need to have an elite player at linebacker. You need to have an elite player in the secondary. Um, I think Brisker, uh, obviously Gordon's a good player. Uh, you know, he, he's had issues with health at times. And, and if you can keep Johnson around, like that's a, that's that's the beginnings of a great defense. And, you know, defense doesn't win championships the way it did back in the 80s when the Bears won the Super Bowl. But it's defense is a good start. And mm-hmm. and I think that the Bears now, um, because they can get a pass rush, which, you know, you, you talk about 2022, they had, what, 20 sacks in 17 games. Now they're able to at least get a pass rush, which doesn't put as much pressure on Justin Fields or whomever the, the next quarterback is. That That's huge, too, right? The, yeah. the biggest thing you know, you can, you can do for a young quarterback is not have every drive need to be a touchdown drive. That's a humongous thing for a young quarterback and the defense put that. I mean, look, that bears game, the offense didn't play all that great, but they were in the game the entire time because the defense at least stopped, slowed down the Packers who were actually playing really good offense. Justin, or uh, sorry, Jordan Love was offensive player of the week last week and the Packers only scored 17 points. Like that's, That was a pretty good outing by the Bears defense who was kind of playing uphill all game. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I think that that was what was even more frustrating out of it because, yeah, the defense, what they've kind of done the second half is get a lot of turnovers. So that has helped a ton. And they weren't able to do that. They got the one fumble from Jordan Love. But you also watched Aaron Jones just walk up and down the field and that's what I think killed them because the Bears all year were able to rely on that rush defense and it just died for some reason in this game and I don't know if that attests to George, uh, to Aaron Jones or just being worn out by week 18. Um, I I honestly I feel like Aaron Jones has battled so many injuries this year I, I don't know I couldn't quite figure it out but mm-hmm. it was just really interesting to watch that and be like how did that happen for a week 18 when that had been the strong point for the majority of the season. Yeah, I think I think a big thing in the NFL now, and it's it's evolved quite a bit, is you really do need like back when the Bears you know made the Super Bowl back in like twenty two thousand six, right? That was the Tampa two, the Lovey Smith, you know, uh, you know when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, the Colts won the Super Bowl. The most important player was the three technique, the Tommy Harris type player, yeah. right? And now the most important player is the the nose tackle, the actual yeah. because you play so many like light fronts. And so you really need a guy to line up over the center. And, and, you know, Eddie Goldman was so important for that team in 2018. And, you know, he kind of like for, and, and it's really hard to play that position for a long time because it's yeah. just so hard on the body. And, you know, the chiefs are seeing that with Derek Nottie, he's regressed so much and it's just so hard to play Limbell Joseph for the Vikings. That's when their defense started to regress when he got old. 
you re- and and you know Andrew Billings isn't who he used to be and like I think that the Bears that's one place where if the Bears can get a blue chip player there somehow I think mm-hmm. that will really help their defense and that was what really helped their defense was the fact that Montez Sweat could set a good edge yeah but it was the interior running game that helped the Packers in that game and and it, they do really you need somebody to help control the point of attack in between the guards. Yeah, and that's what we saw. It definitely improved throughout the season, but it was a lot of reliant on Javon Dexter, who's a rookie. So obviously, you have your moments there. Um, Billings, I think Billings was an under. He had a, he had a pretty good season, honestly, and it wasn't that Poles had to spend. I think it was because of the value that they had to spend on him and what he was able to do, and what the run defense looked like for the whole first half. But I agree. I think it's like you didn't have that true strong guy. They went and got Demarcus Walker, and then he was having them all over the offensive line. And then once Yannick got hurt, they had to move some guys and have them back on the other side of the edge. So it kind of messed up what they were doing interior, which maybe that's what it was. It kind of caught up towards the end. So that's why it, it was just so frustrating to watch. Cause I was like, man, like I think they only allowed three game, three or four games all season with over a hundred yards. And then Aaron Jones was just all over the place. It's so frustrating. Uh, but let's talk a little bit. I talked about Getze. Um, Getze fired today, and we mentioned a little bit later about scheming and how he's not able to scheme. Uh, he obviously wasn't able to scheme certain things because that midfield, you said the – did you say 10 to 19 or 5 to 19? 10 to 19, so to 19. The, the doubles the doubles area. Okay. Uh, kind of, you know, off-play action, kind of where, where you can really roast the defense. Yeah, so obviously struggles there, and that was all season, and that was last season too. We we kind of had the same situation last year where we're like, why do we have this mid-range problem with Justin Fields? And now kind of what you said, it was a, a combination of issues. But when it comes to that offensive play caller position, now Luke Getzey is gone. Do you see anybody – do you have any ideas of who could possibly be good fits for the Bears when it comes to that if they do keep – let's say they keep Justin Fields? Yeah, I mean, the, the one easy one, because the, the Seahawks did kind of the, the cool thing, and actually we do um, some coaching consultancies, so I'm going to pull up my our, our numbers here. The easy one is actually, I mean, Shane Waldron's the offensive coordinator in Seattle, yeah. and, you know, they did the cool thing where, you know, and, and Carolina didn't do this, right, because they were, um, you know, they they basically are holding on to coaches that people want. Yeah. Um, uh, but Shane Waldron's, you know, free to free to interview with anybody, and he's done a pretty good job with Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of resurrecting his career, second round pick out of the, you know, for the Jets. Kind of, you know, hasn't had much success. Has been pretty good for Seattle. I know that they've yeah. only been nine and eight, but that's that's one that they should really consider. But just some quarterback coaches that have had success. I mean, you look at Scott Tolzien was a quarterback in the NFL, as you know, with the Packers. Um, you know, he's done really well with Dallas. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott's having a career year this year. Uh, yeah. Clay Kubiak, uh, you know, uh, one of the Kubiak sons. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, that's that's one of those offenses, right, where everybody wanted Justin Fields to go to San Francisco. I did. Wanted yeah. some, uh, him to go to San Francisco. He's the San Francisco quarterback coach. That's one to think about. One of my former colleagues, uh, actually, uh, at PFF, was a quarterback in the NFL. Zach Robinson with the Rams uh, is, is a very good uh, sort of disciple of that Sean McVay offense. Uh, so those are just ones that I, I can think of that, that are current quarterbacks coaches that could be elevated. Um, you know, current offensive coordinators uh, that aren't calling plays. So you can think about, you know, like a Frank Smith uh, in mm-hmm. in uh, Miami. He's not calling plays in Miami. Obviously, that's uh, uh, Mike McDaniels right now. Um, you know, uh, Mike uh, Mike Lafleur isn't calling plays in L.A. Uh, that's another one that could could get another shot. I was going to say Matt Nagy uh, just to see if you were paying attention. <laughs> Uh, but he no. doesn't call plays in, in uh, <laughs> he doesn't call plays in, in uh, Kansas City. But no, that would the other one that could be interesting as well. And and I know, um, you know, he had he his Sam Howell did not have a great year, um, but they did show some stuff is is Eric Bieniemy. I, I Eric yeah. Bieniemy is not going to get a head coaching job in the NFL. Like it, mm-hmm. it just isn't going to happen. Um, but Eric Bieniemy is an incredibly good motivator. Uh, I, you can see it. The Chiefs' offense going from Bienemy to Nagy has been bad. Yeah, and you know he he. I think he's gotten more out of Howell than I think an average offense coordinator would. And so you know that's yeah. that's another one that's a, a dark horse to me. 
Yeah, I think honestly, I remember like mid-season Bears fans kind of started talking about Bianami a little bit, and I feel like every year, halfway through the year, people start being like, "Oh, Eric Bianami again." Um, but yeah, honestly, those are some good ones because I'm one of those people that it's so hard for me. So many people immediately today were like tweeting me like, "Who do you want at OC?" And I'm like, I have no, I truly have no idea. I was like, I had yeah, a shirt hard. that had. I had a shirt that had Matt Nagy's face on it. Do you think I can pick our next like well, OC? Even Coles. Like yeah. I have like I was selling uh, our product at PFF and because um, I'm I'm good friends with with one of the with the VP of player personnel with the Chiefs and like I when I was selling our product to the Chiefs in July of 2021, I I the first person I was selling it to was Ryan Poles oh. and Poles is fourth in command with the Chiefs. And so he was the first one, he was my first point of contact. And I'm like, so he got a GM job before my friend and before Mike Borgonzi, their assistant GM. Uh-huh. And so like these guys come out of nowhere, right? Yeah. So like, how would you know? How would you yeah. have known Ryan Poles, anything yeah. about him, right? Because, yeah. you know, well, how would you know these 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 clubs are 100 people deep, right? Yeah, so they, no they do come out of nowhere. So yeah, exactly. Well, well, let's talk about that, though. So you worked a little bit with Ryan Poles. We, the majority, I'd say like 90% of Bears fans love Ryan Poles. There's the 10% that point to Eberflus hiring. They're not happy about that. Now keeping Eberflus. They talk about the two main things, I guess, would be the Claypool and then drafting Bayless Jones. Um, those are kind of like the three hits on him that some people can't get over. But to me, I just feel like when you turn a roster that had $93 million in dead cap to now about to be $150,000. And you actually really do have a foundation of, you mentioned defensively, at least there, um, you make a trade like you did with DJ Moore, um, all of these things, it's hard to ignore those, but what are your thoughts on polls and what he's done in Chicago? Yeah. I look, I, I you're always going to have mistakes. Like Quasi Adapomenza, who is polls is contemporary, right? Like they were hired at the same time. His first draft pick, Lewisine, has not started a game and doesn't even dress for most games, right? Wow. That's his first first round pick. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to, like, I'm, <laughs> and I actually think Quasey's done a pretty good job, right? They won yeah. 13 games. They, and, and so you miss, right? You miss yeah. at times. Like, Claypool, you know, they got a second round pick for Roquan, and, you know, Roquan's done really good in Baltimore, you know, so. Like you have hits and misses, right? But they 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 took the Carolina to cleaners for the first pick last year. So yeah. you have you, I I think you know, and from what I know about polls, you know, he's he's very detail oriented. He's very he's very um, uh, yeah, he he's very organized. Like and and you need that, right? Like six weeks ago, that guy was going to get fired. Like you watched that that game against the Chargers on Sunday Night Football, and yeah. all I can remember was Kevin. Uh, Kevin Warren was standing there looking over his shoulder. Ryan's yeah. sitting there in, in the booth. There's the thing that says GM over the top, so we all know he's the GM. And yeah. that thing looked like everybody except for Kevin Warren was getting fired, right? Yeah. And it takes a steady hand to to wait it out, to 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 walk through that building, to make sure that – and, and, and granted, they didn't play that many good teams down the stretch, but yeah. – Look at the Falcons. The Falcons lost to the Cardinals. They lost to the Panthers. They lost to all these crappy teams, and every and they got and they got Arthur Smith fired. It, yeah. it takes it takes I think an organized, uh, you know, meticulous kind of person to keep the thing on the tracks and make sure that most of the people now the offensive people got fired, but to make make sure that the people keep their jobs. And I think that that's a hallmark of polls. It's like a detail-oriented, process-oriented person that, that has some wins and has some losses. But I think mm-hmm. right now you can probably say that polls has more wins than losses right now. Yeah, I agree. And I think that especially considering what he took over and I, when you go back to when Ryan Poles did take over and there was like 60% of the roster was hitting free agency at that time. They, I just mentioned millions of dollars of dead cap happening. They didn't have a first round draft pick. They only had five picks total. I think like $20 million to spend. It was just a complete disaster when he took over that year. And so he had to throw some darts that year. Um, which uh, at the dartboard and hope that some hits because I know like it was Byron Pringle and it was Equinemia St. Brown and it was all these players that people are saying who and what and why, but there wasn't much wiggle room for him. So he was just hoping that some to kill Harry, like he was just hoping something would work. And unfortunately it didn't. Um, and it, it kind of hurt that season. But then the next year you saw what he 
could do when there was resources. And even when you go back to the bad year, when it's the draft, you get Braxton Jones, who, you know, people are hit and miss on when it comes to him at left tackle. So we'll see what that is in the future. But you did get Kyler Gordon. You did get Jaquan Brisker. You got some pieces in that first draft, and you didn't even get to pick until the second round. So, right, And you didn't have a first-round pick because the other regime took took the quarterback. That, yeah. And you're and – you're, everybody is arguing – about the quarterback that you didn't even get to choose, right? Like yeah. you're working with somebody else's QB, which this is the second straight re- regime that is using, that is working with somebody else's quarterback, right? John yeah. Fox took Mitch Trubisky, not you, yeah. right? Or, you know, Ryan Pace took, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a very different, it's a very complicated situation that the Bears are in. And I think like Ryan Poles and to a lesser extent Eberfus, because he's mostly the, like he's, He's very, there is very much delineation of responsibilities. Poles very much is the boss there. Yeah. Um, but I think Poles has handled this very well. I I, yeah. I think that he's handled this uh, with a plum, frankly. So what do you think about Eberflus, a defensive-minded coach? How much longer can something like that make it in the NFL with what is with what the NFL is now with passing offenses? Well, offenses have gotten worse. I mean, I think that that's that's good, that's in his favor. I think that the hard part is going to be, you know, the 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 game theory of it is tough, right? Because you bring somebody in and that person. So let, let's play it out. Like that person makes Justin Fields good, or makes the so that person makes the rookie quarterback good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that person's going to get a head coach job. Right or yeah. is going to get the Bears head coach job in, yeah. in, in which case Eberflus is a sitting duck or something like you know what I'm saying like that's the complication here when you're a defensive coach and yeah. my boss Thomas Dimitrov had to deal with this right when he when Dan Quinn and he went to the Super Bowl in 2016 and lost to the Patriots mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan went you know went to San Francisco and they were constantly dealing with offensive coordinators who were not quite as good as Kyle, and they were not quite as good of a team, and eventually they were not quite meeting expectations and got fired. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So that that's the conundrum, right? The offensive coordinator is going to come in, and if he doesn't meet expectations, then they're all going to get fired. And that that's that's tricky. If the offensive coordinator comes in, and I think about the Josh McDaniel in, in New England, he comes in, makes Mac Jones look – he was there already. Makes Mac Jones look good, goes and becomes the Vegas head coach, right? New guys come in, Mac Jones sucks, everything goes kaput, right? <laughs> that guy comes in, right, to Chicago. Like, let, let's say Shane Waldron comes in, makes Justin Fields look great. Then then you have a decision to make, right? Yeah. Tampa made this decision once. They fired Lovey Smith yeah. and kept Dirk Cutter. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work, of course. But so like there that and so that's bad for Eberflus. Yeah. Um, or right, that guy leaves, but then you're right back to where you started here, right? Yeah. And you're still wondering about Justin Fields because is Justin Fields actually good? Or is he good because of this this offensive wonderkin that just yeah. came in? So it's a complicated situation. And again, it gets you back to this idea of like, should you just draft a quarterback? Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that 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 might have just answered the question of should you just draft a quarterback yeah. if you're Eberflus? Yeah. My whole my internet must have cut out or something. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm like a right. Streamyard pro as well, so like I just I just immediately knew. But you like you cut out and then came back and then so I, I knew. It turned my up. mic off. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. yeah, and like so. Also, I my computer, my laptop, like just went kaput, and it's getting fixed. And so I'm using my phone, and it's also hard to navigate. But um, anyway, so it's so it's frustrating and it's difficult for me because I truly feel like we haven't had a real value, a full, true evaluation of Justin Fields. And that sucks because you had three years with him. Mm-hmm. But year one, a wash. They threw him in. They, he wasn't the starter. They built this whole offense around what Andy Dalton did. Obviously, Andy Dalton and Justin Fields, very different people. So that was just kind of, that whole season was bad. Then you come back and you have year two. And yes, last year, you feel like some things had improved, but he still had bottom tier wide receivers. You still had an offensive line that went through, I want to say it was literally 12 or 13 different lines because of injuries and because of other things that were going on. Um, And you didn't have DJ Moore. You had your number one wide receiver was Darnell Mooney. 
and uh, him and Komet were still trying to figure things out. So there were just so many things. And I feel like this year was the first year where I felt like we could start evaluating him. And then right in the chunk of the moment you thought you could, he gets hurt and misses four games. And so that's what's just so frustrating for me is it's because if we trade Justin Fields right now, there's always going to be some what ifs for me. Like, did we really get to see uh, what Justin Fields could be? Did we really, truly get to evaluate? Well, and I think that the worst part is the part the the part of fandom that like like I I'm I'm a Chiefs fan, so like we like I say we and I the 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 part like I've gotten over is I've like seen people leave the Chiefs and do well, and like I've gotten over it. But like I think that the part that people don't want when they're fans is what you don't want is Justin Fields to go somewhere and do well. Yeah. You know that that's really what you don't want because, but the, in in, but in all in all honesty, that that shouldn't matter, right? Because because yeah. because that because the the issue is is like he's not he's probably not going to do well in Chicago. It yeah. is like that's really the so, yeah. I, and, so, and I think I think there's still like a a better than I think there's better than a puncher's chance he does well in Chicago with the right structures and mm-hmm. stuff, but. But I think what people are re- like, what people hang on to is the is the is the chance. It, it, like what they don't want and what they hang on to is they don't want him to go somewhere else and do and do well. And and so, and I think that that's like the toxic part of the whole thing. And so my and like my opinion in that is more so I would probably root for Justin Fields as long as he didn't go to like Green Bay or mm-hmm. like in division. Obviously, um, there are certain places that I'd pro- it'd be a little easier to cheer for him for. We talk a lot about the Niners, obviously, but also the Falcons. Like I feel like I would root so hard for Justin if he went to the Falcons. I feel like mm-hmm. it'd be fitting for him. I feel like it's back home, and it's just so many things that you feel like would be good for him. What I don't want is what scares me is that QB curse of Chicago continuing and Justin Fields goes somewhere and is great. We draft a quarterback. That's a bust. And then here we're talking about this again. Yeah. Where everyone's <laughs> like, you let your franchise quarterback go for another bust. Like but that's don't you, what's in my head. But don't, but like I, I grew up in Minnesota and like all my friends were Vikings fans. You don't want to be Minnesota either. And you yeah. don't want to be, who you were when you had Jay Cutler either, where it's yeah. just always, and, and Jay was great and like yeah. in his own way, but you always knew that it was just always going to be a certain way, right? Yeah. You don't like, you never were going to win the Super Bowl with Cutler and the Vikings are never going to win the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. And, 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 and you want to win the Super Bowl, right? Like you want it, you want to win the Super Bowl. And like, that's, and I know ring culture can be toxic and stuff, but you want to win the Super Bowl. You want you want the Packers fans to shut the hell up, and yeah. and you want to meet I, and like that's that's the other part. Like there there's the hard part is is like there only are a certain number of quarterbacks that can win a Super Bowl, and the way that the league is structured is once you get once you nestle into the Ryan Tannehill and the Kirk Cousins and the Daniel Jones, like that's even worse. Yeah. But like. <laughs> Once you get into that Herculean tier of quarterbacks, yeah. like you're stuck, and yeah. and and you and and I I don't think Fields is like I think Fields is too athletic in, in a weird way. Like I think he's too good to be in that tier, but it, it's it, it's not it's it's weird. Like I it, you don't want to be in that in that tier of quarterbacks because you're just going to be nine and eight every year. Yeah, and, and I think that's when it comes down to the fit of Chicago and you mentioned that like the way that they've built just hasn't been the way that Justin Fields is going to be successful it feels like and I've said it many times that I just don't think things will truly change in Chicago anyway and I this sounds very mean to say this and I don't mean to sound mean but until Virginia dies because (laughs) they're not going to sell until she does she is not going to sell the Bears and so but so many people have little bits of the bears that I feel like when she passes away and they do sell things will finally change because right now every time we hear something we'll blame the what's going on right now we'll blame the head coach we'll blame the offensive coordinator but at the end of the day everything ends up trickling back up to moves that Ted Phillips has made or George McCaskey has made and that's just been this never ending story of what the bears have been and it's just you every time you feel a little ounce of hope 
something happens where you're like, oh, well, there goes. It's like the McCaskey's doing something else that is going to keep us back into the 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, and even in the 80s, right? Like McMahon was kind of that that hope, but he was always getting hurt, right? And like yeah. that was, and they hung on to him probably a little too long. And and that was, you know, Harbaugh was that way too, but even Harbaugh had his flaws and it, yeah. it, it had, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy because I, I understand what the cycle has been. And, and I get why I get wanting to wait that one more season for fields to finally get it because, you know, and, and like the Packers did it with love, like th- they waited one more season and it finally matured. And I think uh, if, you know, if they wait one more year for fields, it could very well happen. But, you know, then, then, you know, what if, what if they let Caleb Williams get drafted number one overall and he turns into the next Patrick Mahomes. And then you guys are all like looking at the next Patrick Mahomes again, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's one thing I always say, I, I, and I think I mentioned this to you. We had a little discussion on helmets and heels where I was like there, I was like, Patrick Mahomes wouldn't be who he is today if he was drafted by the bears in 2017. And I wholeheartedly feel that. And my producer was like, that's not true. Patrick Mahomes is a different level of quarterback like he would have been who he was no matter what and I was like I just don't know if I believe that because he would have been thrown into a team to start right away with John Fox as the coach with Kendall Wright and Josh Bellamy as the wide receivers with the offensive line at this time like Kyle Long was leaving that's right when the offensive line was kind of out the door that we were kind of used to being at least a little successful the defense was on a major decline at that point they built it back up just for 2018 and then it died again but I just don't feel not saying he would be terrible. I'm not saying we would have been talking about Patrick Mahomes being a bust, but I just don't think we'd be talking about multiple Super Bowl winning Patrick Mahomes on the Chicago Bears. No, I think I think it would have yeah, I mean I think all these guys, if if Dan Marino wasn't drafted by Don Shula, I don't think like he would have been, you know, yeah. nearly the guy. Um, yeah, I didn't even mention Andy Reid. Like, that's a large yeah. part of this. Yeah, Andy Reid. I mean, yeah, it, we're the, all of us are a product of our circumstances to a degree, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's just life. A few more for Eric, uh, just before I let you go. The offseason in general, the Bears, obviously, I think quarterback aside, that's one big decision. Um, aside from that, it looks like the main things they probably need is some other sort of pass rusher. You mentioned that nose tackle something in the t- interior is probably there. Some uh, offensive line pieces, obviously, majorly for depth, but even uh, maybe a couple starting positions, especially the center. Uh, Eddie Jackson, I think, is going to be gone this season. We're hoping they lock up Jalen Johnson. Um, so there's a the free safety spot out there. When you're looking at, if you were looking at the Bears, what would you say you would make the main, the main focus of, okay, here's the top three things you need to make sure you do? Yeah, I think you probably have to look for like a wide receiver three in free agency. I think you have to, you know, you probably have to look for, you know, a starting, you know, hopefully a starting caliber guy in the draft, but a wide receiver three type player, a reliable slot type player in free agency. Um, I think you, you probably do have to look for a starting caliber safety. That's not Eddie Jackson in free agency. Those, you know, that that's like the sort of premium, non-premium position, that place where you can find a starter in mm-hmm. free agency. Um, so those, that's kind of like a, a place to look. I think you have, you know, like I, I don't know why Deontay Foreman kind of fell out of favor there, uh, but I think he's better than Khalil Herbert uh, okay. in, in, in some ways. Um, and, and offensive line depth, of course, like you can always use offensive line depth uh, and, you know, just, just – fortifying that quite you know a little bit as well uh and and of course slot corner depth you always can use that yeah yeah and I think that we are the good news is I think if Bears fans can take any positives as the this list that we just listed off was about 25 names long last I mean 25 positions long last year and now you're to the point where you're saying okay you need maybe like four things majorly and then depth start working on that, which is a positive because I feel like you do have a secondary that you're pretty confident. Like I said, outside of Eddie linebackers with Edmonds, Sanborn and Edwards, I think is solid. Um, Montez Sweat, just adding that pass rush. I think, feel like you do have a piece with Javon Dexter on the offensive line. Tevin dependent, like Tevin needs to stay healthy. That's his main thing. When he's healthy, Mm -hmm. he's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I like Darnell Wright. I think year two, we'll see even more. So, at least there's foundations there, which there was not at all even a year ago. Yeah, and that's that's exactly like where you want to see it with polls, right? And then, um, 
you you throw a you throw a, you know either Justin or a young quarterback in there at, at a, a reduced rate and you're ready to go. Yep. All right, Eric. Well, thanks so much for hopping on with me. I really appreciate it. It was um, some cool stuff, and I know some people like to hear some of this stuff. Some people don't. Um, I know I I'm trying to keep everything open because it is hard to your let your fandom take over sometimes, and um, to hear an outside perspective is cool. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to talk, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I've, I've you, you've uh, you've been fun to follow along with uh, this year. So uh, yeah, my emotional roller coaster of a Twitter, but it's fine. <laughs> All right, thank you, um, and I'll chat with you later. <laughs>